Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. number two of Extra Point on this Thursday, June 8th. Bob Cam, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. Your phone calls if you'd like to join the program. 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll take your calls around 11.15 today. Let's reset the scene with today's poll questions and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question in reference to last night's Game three of the NBA Finals. Which triple double was more impressive, Nikola Jokic or Jamal Murray? Jokic continues to lead the voting at 67% of the vote, Jamal Murray trailing at 33%. Yeah, I'm actually pleasantly surprised and pleased, combination of both, that this is a close vote. I was a little concerned when we posted the question whether it was going to be a close vote or not. Uh, so uh, I had a tough time, quite frankly, uh, coming up with a poll question after last night's one-sided victory by the Nuggets. <laughs> we'll answer it ourselves around 11.30 today, but still time for you to cast your vote. Over on Twitter at KDUSAM1060, we had a conversation with Doug Howler of The Athletic, talking all things Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul, Frank Vogel, DeAndre Ayton's future also dove into a little Pac-12 and Big 12 as well. But in regards to the question here, should the Suns trade DeAndre Ayton during the offseason? And the masses are on the yes side of things at 65.2% of the vote, no trailing at 34.8%. Actually, this is a question that I had ready to go before Woj's report last night that the uh, you know, just paraphrasing Woj's report that uh, they're exploring options or the possibility of trading him in the offseason. I already had this one kind of figured out as far as at least the question part. <laughs> how, how about the answer? Are we still uh, searching and racking our brain for the answer? No, I'm actually not racking my brain for the answer, but I'm guessing on them. I'm going to be in the minority here uh, as far as uh, that's my uh, that's my tease for uh, later at the bottom of the hour here. Fair enough. Uh, as as you alluded to, we'll answer it around 11.30 today. Once again, your call 602-260-1060 around 11.15. Let's get into some Major League Baseball. You had the Diamondbacks getting a 6-2 win over the Nationals yesterday. Uh, their game this morning has been postponed. It'll be made up later June 22nd, uh, unable to play with the air quality issues with the wildfires that Canada is experiencing. Uh, so they'll make that game up later but as we go back to yesterday's contest it was a start for Zach Davies he earns his first win in more than a year six in two-thirds innings pitched five hits two runs one walk eight strikeouts yeah before we get to the yesterday's game uh, this this makeup date is kind of a interesting thing in itself because you know the Diamondbacks are going to have this makeup date two weeks from today after they actually have a road trip to uh, to Milwaukee, they're going to get an off day scheduled for the Thursday. 
And then the next day, the 25th, they actually go to San Francisco to uh, continue what was supposed to be a doff day and then their road trip there. But that's kind of a weird road trip, but obviously uh, odd and unusual circumstances have dictated such. Okay, back to last night. Uh, Davies, um, he was good. I mean, he, he's a you know usually a pitch-to-contact guy, which uh, we've talked about for a couple of years now. He had eight strikeouts yesterday, which is an abnormal high for him. Uh, but the Nationals, unfortunately for them, strike out a lot during the season. So maybe not that surprising. But he was good. And, uh, you know, it's amazing that the Diamondbacks actually didn't have a bigger lead because they had base runners all night against Patrick Corbin. Speaking of Patrick Corbin, six innings pitched, 11 hits, three runs, one walk, four strikeouts. To your point, with 11 hits and only giving up three one three runs, that kind of feels like a win. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that, uh, you know, considering everything that they were, you know, I don't know about pl- I don't know if pleased is too strong a word, but satisfied that they're only down at the, at the you know, give up the, you know, the only three runs during that stretch. And, you know, there was a, a stretch in the game where they, I'm sure, thought they had a pretty good chance to win the game. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Corbin Carroll kind of struck late, but. Yeah, Rivera and Evan Longoria added to their recent offensive uh, performances. Rivera has been really amazing here lately. Uh, he had three more hits, drove in a couple more runs. He's actually hitting now 392 in 99 plate appearances. And I uh, foolishly mentioned last week that maybe Longoria would be on the roster bubble because at some point they've got to add some pitching here at some strategical point. But uh, yeah, he's uh, you know, been very hot uh, in the last week or so. Had two more hits, two more runs batted in. And he, while he's hitting just 225, he does have 15 runs batted in in his 23 hits so far this season. Uh, as you mentioned as well, you had Corbin Carroll, who was four of five, two RBIs and one home run in the ninth. Uh, are we running out of superlatives for him? Well, I hope not because there's going to be more coming, I'm guessing. I mean, he has 11 home runs in the season now. Stole another base last night. He's now eight for 18 for 20 in stolen bases. And those numbers would be, I think, I don't know about significantly higher, but certainly would be higher if he weren't you know, pretty much not running at all for roughly three weeks after he ran into the wall in Colorado and he just kind of shut down the running game for him uh, for some time after that. Uh, so today it was supposed to be a Merrill Kelly start versus Josiah Gray. But as we've talked about, uh, the game will be made up June 22nd. When we look at uh, the NL West, the Dodgers lost yesterday 8-6 to six to the Reds. It was tied going into the ninth. The Dodgers lose once again in walk-off fashion. When it comes to starting pitcher Noah Syndergaard, he only went three innings, seven hits, six runs, three strikeouts, and gave up two home runs. Is he close? Close to being DFA'd. I would think. I mean, if they weren't already in just dire pitching, uh, you know, they have a dire starting pitching issue. I, actually, the entire staff. I mean, they've lost the last two nights on walk-offs at Cincinnati. It seems unlikely that's going to happen today in Cincinnati because Kershaw is just sailing through the first few innings here. The Dodgers are up 6-0. The Reds completely mismanaged Ashcroft, their starting pitcher, who was you know hobbling around and they came out for a mound a couple of mound visits and they left him in the game 
They gave up a few more hits and a few more runs, and then they took him out of the game. And then he literally had to be helped down the dugout steps to get to the runway. But the Reds kept him in the game. Uh, When you look at the NL West in general here, the Diamondbacks now hold a two-game lead. They're atop 37 and 25. The Dodgers 35 and 27. The Giants 31 and 30. Padres 29 and 33. Rockies uh, 26 and 37. Can the D-backs really start to put some distance between themselves and the Dodgers? Uh, I would be surprised. I mean, the Dodgers are so good offensively. And they're going to get some pitching back, and I'm assuming they're going to add some pitching as we go along here. Uh, so I, I would be surprised. To, uh, as well as the Diamondbacks have played so far this season, and I think they're good and better than I anticipated, but I think the Dodgers still have you know, just too much firepower on their roster to allow the Diamondbacks to put distance between uh, the first and second place teams. Uh, at this point, unless uh, until further notice, I could care less about the other three teams in this division. They're just not good enough to challenge. Uh, yesterday as well, we'll continue with that theme. Blue Jays three, Astros two. Uh, the Blue Jays here getting some some wins on the Astros. That's true, and I got to be honest, I didn't watch a whole lot of baseball uh, yesterday. Uh, you know, the Diamondbacks. I was paying attention to that, and the basketball game was over already. Oh, you know, the basketball game started at five thirty our time. It was overlapping. The one game I did pay attention to the most was the Braves once again uh, rallying to beat the Mets, and they just continue their their domination of the Mets. Quite frankly, and we're not just this year, but towards the end of last year. And it really, even if you go back even further than that, you know, since uh, you know the Braves started this streak, I believe it's now five consecutive division titles that they won. Uh, since they started that streak, they have really destroyed the Mets. Now the Mets haven't had some good teams, you know, a couple of good teams, not not good teams over those years, but you know they thought they had a ten-game lead last year in the division and you know, managed to blow that. And as part of that was because they didn't play as well. And a big part of that was the fact that the Braves were just unbelievable uh, in the last part of the season. And uh, until the Braves, unfortunately for them, had some pitching injuries at the end of the regular season or towards the end of the regular season. And that had a lot to do with them losing in the uh, in the playoffs to the Phillies. But, you know, I'm struggling to I have the numbers here. I promise you I have the numbers here. Um, and I'm having a tough time finding them at the moment, but I've got them here somewhere. So if I just continue to stammer along just for a couple of more seconds, well, I'll give you I a second find to them. find them. Uh, no, I've got it. Okay. I've got it right here. Okay, so it's winning the first of five straight NL East titles in 2018. The Braves are now 55 and 36 against the Mets, including they've lost, they've won 10 of the last 12 meetings. In fact, during that stretch, the last 12 games, they have outscored the Mets 71-41, to and they've won eight of the nine games played in Atlanta. Uh, speaking of the game specific here, Scherzer, five and two-thirds innings pitched, 11 hits, five runs, 10 strikeouts, one home run. Charlie Morton, four and two-thirds innings, four hits, four runs, five strikeouts, and two home runs. But let's just talk about Scherzer. Can we can we call it a mixed bag for him this, this season? Game, this game this game was a mixed bag. <laughs> he was absolutely dominant to start this game, uh, unhittable uh, in the first four or five innings, and then he got shelled. 
and he ended up giving 11, gave up 11 hits in this game. That's one shy of his career most or worst or however you'd like to phrase that. And he was done after five and two-thirds innings. And for a second straight day, second straight night in Atlanta, the Mets had a lead and were unable to hold that. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Today is an interesting matchup in itself. The third game in this series is Justin Verlander, who's been mixed bag, to use your term, and I think accurately with both these guys. Uh, he goes today 2-3 and three with a 425 earned run average. And Spencer Strider, who, of course, the Diamondbacks got to see on Sunday uh, and uh, Saturday, excuse me, last Saturday night in the uh, in his dominating performance here. He's 3-2 and two with a 297 earned run average and was the rookie of the year in the National League last year and certainly I think is a Cy Young candidate this year in the National League. Uh, so we'll uh, see what happens. He had 130, He has 113 strikeouts right now, which lead, uh, that leads the National League. And uh, he's also been great against the Mets in his brief career, 3-1 and one with the uh, you know, earned run average. Actually, his earned run average is a little high, but he has a good record against the Mets. And uh, that's not all as a starter. Just some of that's as a relief pitcher, you know, when he was a, you know, before he became a full-time starter last season. Uh, you know, you also lumped Justin Verlander into the mixed bag category. Um, I guess parsing it out a little bit, they're both Scherzer and Verlander on the back half of their careers here. But are we seeing a little bit more of age from Justin Verlander or just the fact that he had uh, to spend some time on the injured list and now kind of working his way back in? Has it been long enough for that not to be kind of the factor anymore? How do you view uh, Verlander's start to his Mets tenure? I really think it's tough because of the injuries and also I think it's tough with uh, a little bit. I think there's some skepticism of where we're at with Scherzer now, too, because you remember he's been in and out of the rotation a couple times this year for injury and for suspension. So if Mets fans have any remaining hope, quite frankly, uh, to challenge at least in the division, it's that those two guys haven't been – you know, pitching on a you know the you know, since day one of the season they have not been pitching on the usual five days and so forth between starts and there's a lot been interruptions and if that would be I guess you know if, if there's an excuse I don't use an excuse the, the term excuse is maybe too strong but I think that at least has to be factored in when trying to assess their performances this season. The other question that I have here, um, you know, you talked about it where the Braves were able to come back on the Mets in this game and just overall the numbers about the Braves basically owning the Mets. Are we to that point where um, the Braves are a team that it's kind of like psychological at this point that they just have that belief that they're they're going to one up this this ball club? Maybe, but I think the Braves have the best roster in the National League, if healthy. Now, unfortunately, they are certainly not even close to being healthy as far as their starting pitching goes. Uh, But their lineup is dynamic. Their defense is excellent. And, uh, you know, the the guys that have come up from Gwinnett and from their bullpen – you know, some of these guys have just been basically openers and pitched an inning or two, but they've gotten a whole lot out of what they've uh, been able to use as far as their starting rotation at this point because of the injuries with all these replacements. 
and and they're so good defensively that have, that, that, that I think that that's well, there's no question that helps a you know, if there's a questionable starting pitching situation, if you're playing really good behind and the guy just can throw strikes, you can count on the defense to make, him, make plays behind him. And uh, as long as you're not giving up an inordinate amount of home runs, and they're not, uh, I think that has a lot to do with why the Braves are in the situation they're in. And right now the Braves, with all this stuff going on, and the Diamondbacks uh, are tied with the, for the best record in the National League entering today's play. Uh, the other game that caught my attention, the Rays, they keep winning ball games, 2-1 to one over the Twins, and then it's Yanni Torinos, 2-1, 2.79 ERA, 11 strikeouts going up against Bailey Ober, 3-2, 2.33 ERA, and 40 strikeouts on the season. Yeah, and this game's currently underway, and the fact the Rays just a few minutes ago uh, put a three spot on them in the bottom of the fourth inning. And heading to the, where are we at here? We're at the top of the fifth inning right now. No, actually, I'm sorry, top of the sixth inning right now. And the Rays have a three-to-one three, three to one lead. I don't think Minnesota's particularly good. They have actually, their pitching's been really good. Their offense has been anemic. Carlos Correa did hit a home run today, and he's been in and out of the lineup a couple different times because of the foot issue. And... Uh, that's the lone run that the uh, the Twins have scored today. 602-260-1060. That's the number if you'd like to join the program. We'll take your call now, get to you on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060. We'll also dive uh, into a little bit more Major League Baseball, go through the divisions. Uh, in addition to that, some NFL news. I guess we're getting closer to Dalvin Cook being released. I still haven't seen anything of official from the team but reports saying it's happening today hardly stunning we've talked we've talked about this for a few days now there just seems to be zero chance of him returning after alexander medicine his backup signed a contract extension so we'll get into all of that here on the other side of the break plus for your phone calls if you'd like to join the program 602-260-1060 it is the extra point here on kdus am 1060 Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two. Eleven twenty-five here on KDOS AM ten sixty on this Thursday, June eighth. It is the extra point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro, with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. As promised, some phone call time. So we'll get to you now. 602-260-1060 is the number. Popping on out to the KDOS hotline with Al in Phoenix. What's on your mind today, Al? Uh, well, first of all, this is a topic I don't usually talk about, but on the golf merger, does that include the LPGA, or are they a totally separate entity? They are a totally separate organization. So uh, the assumption here is that uh, if PIF wants to keep getting involved, that this would just be step one, and then maybe looking into making investment opportunities into other organizations and not necessarily just stopping with the PGA Tour. But as it is today, uh, this is just the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour and the LPGA Tour is its separate own thing. All right. Well, thanks for that. And then, uh, Bob, do you think that Cindergard is he done? I mean, it's 
I mean, it's a shame. You know, we were talking about this Mets talk, thinking about how Syndergaard and DeGrom are like the, you know, the the two young stars, and they're, now one is almost done, and the other one, we don't know what, you know, when he's going to come back and what he's going to be like when he comes back. It's uh, kind of a shame. It is, and also don't forget Matt Harvey. Um, yeah, Matt Harvey. Yeah, who was. And out. really, Stephen Stephen Matz, for that, you know, he wasn't quite to that level, but I mean, looked like that he was going to be part of the rotation for a long time, also. And yeah, you know, he's in St. Louis, kind of mired in all the stuff that's going on there, and part of the reason that they're struggling in St. Louis. But uh, yeah, I think Syndergaard's done, uh, at least for now. I mean, he's tried to reinvent himself as a pitcher. Obviously, the velocity is way down. Uh, ever, ever since I, I've gotten so confused about all the pitching injuries for between Negrom and Syndergaard over the years, I can't remember what exactly happened to which guy. Uh, yeah. Other than uh, we now we now that we yeah we now know that obviously Negrom's got Tommy John surgery, but yeah, but you know, Negrom's tried to reinvent himself. He's not the fireball guy that he was before just you know blow it by guys and be physically dominant and you know like a lot of pitchers and most guys quite frankly not everybody's frank tanana who can go from you know a hard thrower to a finesse guy and still be successful over a long period of time cinder guard hasn't figured that out and you know the dodgers are there you know, maybe if he, if he were on a team that wasn't a contender Maybe they that team could be a, you know, work with him a little more to figure it out. But you know the Dodgers are they're they're just going to lose the game when Syndergaard starts right now. Or if uh, if not, they're going to need to score a ton of runs. And yesterday they scored a ton of runs with him and still lost the game. Yeah, you know the Phillies they were able to get something out of him. I mean it was a real roller coaster of a season with him. I mean you know you see his starts kind of. You kind of have to, you know, kind of clench sometimes because you know what you're going to get. But I was actually surprised that he, uh, I don't know if the Dodgers, they're lacking starting pitching when they, they you know, the, that they would sign him and try to, because um, they've got a lot of young, it seems like they, but they have so many injuries. Maybe that's why he's still pitching. I don't know. That's true. I don't think there's a doubt. If they were healthy, that he would not be on their roster right now. But, you know, who actually replaces him? And you know, I think it should. Yeah, you know, the Dodgers have really had a knack of you know, turning around some veteran players who had struggled elsewhere. So I'm sure they thought they could do that with Syndergaard, and I don't blame them for trying. Uh, but maybe the fact that Philadelphia, which is not exactly rich in pitching depth, uh, let him go and didn't seem to have any interest in keeping him, maybe that should have been a sign. Yeah, no doubt, and. Uh... Yeah, and then the Braves, you know, it's interesting. They were so dominant for so long, and they won all those divisions. Now, I, I didn't even realize that they had won five, that they'd won the East five years oh, yeah. in a row. It's amazing yeah. how that they've come, you know, geez, that's a, that's a testament to that franchise, and especially after all the losing they had in the 70s into the early 80s. But, uh, all right. That's, well, that's so true. No, no doubt. Yeah, that's very accurate, and you know, the fact that they're as good as they are right now, you know, Freed's been out for almost the entire season, and he's now on the 60-day injured list, and it's not going to pitch until the first week of July at the earliest. Mike Soroka went back to AAA after, you know, a couple of starts that didn't go so well, including here against the Diamondbacks over the weekend. Kyle Wright, who was uh, 
Uh, baseball is only 20-game winner last year. He's rarely pitched this season. He's on the injured list. Iglesias started the season, their closer on the injured list, and now he's kind of you know, he's certainly healthy now. But they've had all those things uh, in addition to their shortstop issue, which I think is kind of solved at least right now. Uh, that all those things have occurred, and they're still as good as they are. Yeah, it's incredible. I will. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Once again, 602-260-1060 is the number to get involved. One thing I want to make mention of uh, on Al's first question there about this new uh, merger, if you will, and if it involved the LPGA Tour, which it doesn't, I do want to make mention that there is already something that PIF has invested in, and it's called the Aramco Team Series, and that's actually sanctioned with the Ladies European Tour, and there are some crossover of players that play on the European Tour as well as LPGA Tour players that are part of this. There's also uh, sponsorships with Golf Saudi and there's lots of uh, LPGA Tour players that do represent that. So there already is a little bit of an investment in women's golf from PIF, but not specific to what transpired on Tuesday. So I just kind of wanted to at least lay the groundwork for all the different things that PIF is involved with with golf. Uh, back to Major League Baseball as we go around the uh, the leagues here. We already touched on the NL West. Uh, talking about the AL West, you have the Rangers on top at 40 and 21, the Astros at 36 and 26, the Angels 33 and 30, the Mariners at 30 and 31, and the A's at 14 and 50. Uh, you know, we kind of touched on it a little bit this week and whether or not we thought the Rangers, the Astros, would come out on top in this division here. Uh, has anything surprised you, though, about how this has gone as we're sitting here on June 8th within this division? Well, I'm certainly surprised that, you know, the Rangers are this good. I mean, I thought, uh, you know, they added a lot of starting pitchers with injury history, including DeGrom. Uh, needless to say, that did not work out for them, at least short term. And Hopefully he'll be able to come back from his second Tommy John surgery. But you know, the fact that they've been so good offensively, it's amazing. You know, they're amongst the best, if not the best, depending on whatever category you want to look at. Their offense has been sensational. I'm not surprised at all their defense is this good because we kind of forecast that before the season started. But just to show you a little more about their offense, they have scored 10 or more runs in 16 games this season. No other team in either league has done that more than eight times, and they've done it twice as much. The AL Central with the Twins, 31 and 31, the Guardians, 28 and 33, Tigers, 26 and 33, the White Sox, 27 and 35, and the Royals, 18 and 44. Can the Royals be pushing the A's for the worst team in baseball? But uh, also here when it comes to the AL Central, which team is the most disappointing so far? Now, the Royals just got swept, I believe, is now for the sixth time this series, this season they've been swept in a series. They're really bad. That's, a, you know, to be uh, at least uh, thought about with the A's is not a good thing. Uh, quite frankly, though, you can take the teams in the AL and NL Central, and I'm not even sure you could almost, you know, I'm just being sarcastic here a little bit, but I don't even know if you could put like an all-star team together and be as good as some other teams in the, in the sport, but th these two divisions are bad. 
both of them. And I really don't think any of those teams uh, in those two divisions are any good, any of them. AL East, the Rays continue their dominance at 45 and 19. Orioles 37 and 24. Yankees 36 and 26. The Blue Jays 35 and 28. And the Red Sox sitting at now at 31 and 31. Um, if you were to predict, would you say that the Yankees do eventually overtake the Orioles here at, when season's over? Yeah, I think, well, obviously, you got to know about the injury situation, which has been obviously, you know, we can use the obvious word 300 different ways here. Uh, but, you know, they've, they're, they're just out of dudes. I mean, and now you got, uh, obviously, you know, Aaron Judge is back on the injured list for the second time this season. And it's been a pitching issue the entire season for New York. And, you know, Cortez, I don't think he's officially been placed on the injured list yet, but, yeah, he's been out in the. He has a quarter. He had a cortisone shot, and he's. They already said he's going to miss at least two starts. But I think yeah, in part because of the the, the weather, the not the weather, but the uh, you know the situation where they had to postpone their game yesterday with the wildfires, uh, wildfires from Canada, etc. Remember, Montas hasn't pitched this year. May not pitch this year. Carlos Rodon has not pitched this year. He's actually throwing now, at least, and uh, they just got Severino back, and he got shelled in his third start at Dodger Stadium, uh, you know, the other night, the other, you know, the last Saturday night. Uh, and Stanton has been out for a large chunk of the season, so if they get any portion, or let's say seventy-five uh, percent of those guys back, then I think they do beat the Orioles, who are. I think kind of starting to show their starting pitching is you know kind of you know thin, which we've thought all year long, and their offense, which has been terrific so far this season, the offense has taken a couple of step backs, uh, a couple of steps back in the last few days here. The Orioles were the second team to win 30 games, and they're an interesting athletic team, and the new rules have certainly helped them. But uh, you know they uh, you know for the pitching staff they. Uh, too many walks and not enough strikeouts, in my opinion. Their bullpen has been tremendous, but their bullpen might be exhausted by like tomorrow at this rate. At this rate, it's been overused. Uh, switching gears here for just a minute with the NFL news, with the expectation that Vikings will release Dalvin Cook today. Uh, and it, the reports coming out that the Dolphins and the Broncos are the two teams expected to be interested right away in Cook. Cook, 17 games played in 2022, 264 carries, 1,173 yards, eight touchdowns, three fumbles, 39 catches on 56 targets, 295 yards, two touchdowns. He has been a 1,000 yard rusher in 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. Well, in spite of those wonderful stats, there is zero chance that I would at least have a long term financial investment in Dalvin Cook, who at this young, early part of his career has already had injury, uh, shoulder surgeries for both shoulders. I think there's only two, last I heard. Uh, but he's already, that's already happened, and he is. Seldom, I mean, he's made it through seasons, but rarely, I don't remember too many times, if any, that he's actually played every game in an NFL season. Uh, so uh, he's a tremendous talent, but I would be so concerned. It's not like you're going to play running back and not get hit in one of those shoulders. That's true. Oftentimes you kind of lead through a hole with your shoulder. 
You should. And uh, so, I mean, like I said, tremendous talent, but I would have a really, if it's a short-term thing, one-year deal or whatever, or for, you know, not, you know, reasonable money quote unquote uh then i'd give it a you know, give it a shot but uh, and i understand why miami is involved because while they have a lot of young players they certainly are seeming to go for it right now the other thing too i mean he played 17 games 1173 yards and i said he was a 1000 yard rusher but those other previous years he actually amassed more yards in less games as well so yards per carry was down in the 2022 season I'll add one more thing. A thousand yards uh, for a season was a really big deal when you had 12 and 14 game seasons. We now have a 17 game season. Excellent point. It is poll question time on the other side of the break. It's the extra point. Ready to bring KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa? Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open the KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. It's poll question time here on Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app, powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kim, Kayla Mortolaro with you. Let's go into it right now, the KDOS1060.com poll question, uh, taking ourselves back to last night with the Nuggets and the Heat. Which triple-double was more impressive, Nikola Jokic's or Jamal Murray's? Okay, let's start with the Murray case here. He got on, got them off to a tremendous start last night. You know, he had uh, you know, the 18 points right off the bat, it seemed like. He had like eight of the first 12 points. He got them off to a tremendous start. Actually, he played, I think, his best defense of the series, at least this series, and maybe the playoffs, quite frankly, uh, against Jimmy Butler. He was uh, the primary guy responsible for him. Uh, you know, the, the Heat actually did a lot of uh, screens and they put the the Nuggets into situations where they got Aaron Gordon off of Butler a lot and got uh, Murray on him, which is what the Heat wanted to do. But I think that uh, they were pretty disappointed in some of the results, even though Butler did a really good job distributing the ball in the first couple of quarters of that game, especially when the Heat were in the game, quote unquote, even though I never thought they were in the game. Uh, but so there's the Murray case. Yeah, I know he had the, the the case against is that I thought it was kind of a, you know, lack of a better term for me, a phony triple double because they left him in the game even after Miami had take, taken out four of their five starters. And he got that last rebound in the last seconds of the game to make it a quote triple double. But uh, there's that. And, uh, but he was really good, obviously. Uh, Jokic, though, I mean, then just the numbers itself, and it's almost a ho-hum type of thing now with him getting triple-doubles in the postseason. It seems like you're surprised if he doesn't get one. Uh, so I would still say uh, Jokic, but I actually think uh, the more I've actually thought about this, I thought it was kind of a lame question by me uh, because I didn't really have anything else after that game last night to come up with, but maybe it's a little better question than I thought. Uh, so historically, Jokic is the first person in NBA Finals history to have a 30.20 rebound triple-double. So that's the distinction there. Uh, I think to your point, though, we're shocked when he doesn't have triple-doubles. And so I, I, maybe that's why it also got so much uh 
play, make Jokic a, a scorer, take away his passing ability just because when he's doing both things, the Nuggets just are really unstoppable. Uh, so when you look, though, at Jamal Murray, I think you have such a point here that he got them off to such a, a hot start and really applied the pr- offensive pressure to Miami right away. And we almost kind of expect Jokic to do those things. Murray, we know that he's, you know, 1A in this category here, uh, but do we expect him to get triple doubles? When you're looking at just in general, uh, his rebounding average is like four rebounds a game. So it does seem, to your point as well, he got that bogus rebound at the end of the game to get him the triple double. But I think his play and how he kind of set the tone uh, certainly makes me lean in the direction of Jamal Murray. And maybe that's unfair just because Jokic has... Uh, elevated his game to such a level that we right. expect this now. That's a good point. I think I'll add one more thing about Murray. He's had uh, he had ten or more assists, I believe, in every game in this series. Now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, so you know, he's uh, certainly distributed the ball. They run a ton of screen and roll anyway. It seems like they run even more of it. Uh, definitely did. They ran more of it last night. Uh, it was pretty much a two-man game. It's like the whole game it was like a, a two-man game, and Christian Brown got involved at some point, but uh, and Gordon had his moments too. But it was uh, seemed like more of a two-man game than usual with the big two. Uh, definitely. You, uh, the masses, though, are on Jokic's side of things at 73% of the vote. Jamal Murray sitting at 27%. This is the KDOS1060.com poll question. Flipping it on over to Twitter, at KDOSAM1060, should the Suns trade DeAndre Ayton during the offseason? So I think for me, this question comes down to what is coming back in return? The team obviously needs depth added. You've identified that you're building around Katie and Booker. You've probably identified how long you think this window is viable. Uh, So you can't just trade Aiton to trade him. You have to get something and a key piece that's fitting in return. But are other teams, what are other teams willing to give up for Aiton? Is it just going to be a draft pick? Would you rather have what you know with Aiton and whether or not you feel like there's still pieces to untap with him and potential there, whereas it's an unknown commodity with a rookie, etc. There's a lot of factors that go into it, and I think that all options should be on the table, but at the end of the day, you have to go with what you think gives yourself the best chance to win and to build a roster. If you have to move Aiton in order to get more back in return, then that's the direction that you have to go uh, because you're kind of hamstrung with now where you're at based upon what unfolded in order to get Kevin Durant here. That's very true. In fact, I think that the whole scenario you just brought up there is accurate. I still don't quite understand. I mean, I'm guessing I might be the only person in Maricopa County that's on Aiton's side on anything anymore. Uh, but I think that he's just been a uh, you know, kind of a, just a you know, scapegoat uh, for you know, you know. I don't think I think it's unfair, and I seem like I'm in the the large minority here. In fact, I had somebody tell me yesterday it's my U of A allegiance that has to do with my love for Aiden, which is the furthest thing from the truth as humanly possible. 
because I really don't have any U of A allegiance. Uh, but whatever, uh, whatever people want to think, that's good for them. Uh, but I just don't understand, unless there's some kind of issue between Aiton and Booker and Durant, I don't really see what the benefit would be to trade Aiton. He's the lone rim protector they have that is a threat at the offensive end of the floor. I mean, the, they don't, the opponents don't care about the other Suns' bigs at the other end of the floor. We saw that in the last, the last series that they played, that you know, if you want Josh Landale to score – they don't, the opponent says, go ahead. And Biombo, while he's a really good defender and rebounder, certainly they're not running any plays for him. Uh, so I can't imagine that whatever would come in return for Aiton, that would take care of that issue. I think we hit all sides there and making some very logical points. Uh, the masses are on the yes side of things. All right. <laughs> all right. I've made this, I've stepped up a little bit here. All right. Woo. This is like two segments in a row where I've been complimenting. Great point. Uh, I know, I'm applauding myself here. And you, of course. Thank you. Uh, the masses, yeah. they're on the yes side of things. 65.2% of the vote. No sitting at 34.8%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Um, this is one of these questions you'd like to have like a... You know, uh, some kind of addendum. Well, what would you expect in return? What could they get in return for him? Absolutely. That That's the next thing. I know that there were, I don't know how serious it is now because I haven't heard it since, but right when the draft lottery was uh, unfolding, it was Aiton uh, to Portland for a first rounder, and I haven't heard anything really about it since. So I don't really know how viable that is. I don't think there's anybody in this draft other than the dude that's going to San Antonio that would be uh, you know, a post player that would fill that role for the Suns next, at least anytime soon. But also, I mean, or maybe anytime ever. But also to that point, I mean, are we still on like Damian Lillard watch? Is he going to play for the Trailblazers? Is he not going to play for the Trailblazers? Oh, I that's mean, all they need here is his drama here. Let's bring him, you know, oh, please. Okay, <laughs> we wrap sorry. it up next. Your caddy, Ray Adams, takes you beyond the 18th hole on Saturday mornings with Great American Golf from 6 to 7 a.m. on KTUS AM 1060. Kershaw's dominant start performance against the uh, Cincinnati Reds this morning and Bob Nightingale tweeting out here that he leaves after seven shutout innings. It becomes his 82nd start of at least six scoreless innings and his 63rd start of seven or more shutout innings and it ties Don Drysdale's team record of 63 starts of at least six innings. That's a courtesy of Slangs on Sports. Uh, so I'll, I'll add a little more to that uh yeah he's allowed two earned runs or less i believe it's now in nine starts this season he had a couple of starts where he walked some guys a game at san diego and there was one other start uh where he's walked a lot of hitters but uh yeah he's been sensational and uh you know the reds young hitters uh found out what a real major league pitcher is like as opposed to the last couple of nights when they battered uh noah Syndergaard and, and other dodger pitchers into submission 
even though it's not over yet because uh, the Dodgers' uh, bullpen has failed them the last two nights, and they still got to get six outs, and they do have a six-nothing lead. Uh, they're down to actually they only need to, they're down to four outs. They only they got just one out in the uh, eighth inning right now, and it's six-zero uh, Dodgers. It is the extra point here on KDOS AM ten sixty, and it's now time for that thank you time. Bob, your turn again. Okay, my turn is always always a good turn, right? <laughs> okay, uh, thanks to our guest today. Uh, all the usual stuff before, and I don't have time for that. But the NBA Finals and Suns talk. Uh, we uh, talked with Kyle Irving from the Sporting News. Also, uh, U of A, ASU, and Suns discussion. Pac-12 talk with Doug Haller from The Athletic. Sound of the day, courtesy of ESPN, Valley Sports, Arizona, Fox, ESPN, CBS, uh, KWFN, and also uh, Tex 105.3 for some Rangers and Astros stuff there. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, personal thanks, as always, to Kayla and Corey and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Up next, from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, the Sports 2 with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6. I saw this here, that uh, Netflix, Full Swing Season 2, filming currently, and they happen to be filming... When the announcement came down, they were on site at the RBC Canadian and they were also at a player's home. So there will certainly be some great stuff for when Netflix full full swing season two finally gets released. Also saw that Notre Dame athletic director Jack Swarbrick will step down in 2024. His successor already been named. It's the chairman of NBC Sports, Pete Bevecca. Yeah, how convenient. Uh, interesting change there. I will, I'm sure we'll get into that in the future for sure. Absolutely. Uh, as always, appreciate you listening to the program, and we'll be back with you for Friday. It's a Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits Friday spread as well. Have yourselves a great Thursday. Talk to you tomorrow.